It's John chapter 4, verse 27 through 30, verse 39 through 42. And at this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what are you seeking? Or why are you speaking with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the people, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is he? They left the city and were coming to him. Now from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one truly is the Savior of the world. Word of the Lord. Good morning. Evangelism. For the last four weeks, we've been considering God's word on the subject of evangelism. I know for me, and perhaps for a few of you, the word haunts us because I have memories of being taught to accost total strangers and demand if you died tonight. Why would God let you into his heaven? A humiliating experience for all concerned. I'm surprised I wasn't physically assaulted, but that's what we were taught. For other Christians, though, the word probably doesn't have that resonance and may have entirely different overtones. I know, for example, for some friends I have in a different denomination who kind of confuse church growth with evangelism they like to joke that they evangelize in the bedroom. Ha ha. Having more children evangelizing. We're not going to talk about that this morning. That's not the subject of the sermon this morning. What I want to talk about this morning is what evangelism really is. And to do that, I suggest that we think about the relationship between truth and testimony. And between telling and selling. The word evangelism, you probably already know this, but I'll just give you a little refresher, is a compound of two Greek words, meaning good and to bring news or to bring a message. So in biblical use, evangelism means to bring the good news. So why is that so complicated? Well, to take you back, let me show you again what Eric said at the beginning of his first sermon in the first sermon in this series. Eric said, evangelism is a dirty word in our culture, dot, dot, dot. The idea of sharing your faith with others with the goal of converting them is seen as arrogant, 
ignorant and intolerant. I believe it. But I would submit to you that the problem in that second sentence is not the word evangelism in the first sentence, but it's a different word, the word goal. That's the problem. My father was a passionate and successful salesman. His superpower was talking. He liked to swap stories with his prospects and he would lay a common ground which over time he would lead them across to his side of the decision. Now, he never sold me anything, but I have heard him say a million times, everybody's selling something. Everybody's selling something. And when you look at evangelism through that lens, it is distinctly unattractive. If our goal is to convert other people, we have misunderstood our assignment and abused our privilege. Because evangelism isn't about selling, it's about telling. That's the first thing we need to learn this morning. Evangelism isn't about selling, it's about telling. Well, telling what? Well, of course, that's the question, isn't it? So look again, let's look again at what Jesus and the Samaritan woman did and said at the well. Now, we heard in just a few minutes ago the verses that come at the end of that biblical account. But I want to walk us through quickly the conversation that led up to that point. To start from the very beginning, the conversation between the woman and Jesus was kind of like a dance or like a two-player game. So Jesus opens, he serves, by giving her the advantage. He says to her, would you do me a favor? Would you give me a drink of water? Well, she doesn't return the serve straight on. She kind of parries and changes the subject. She says, let's talk about identity. Who are you? And Jesus says, okay, let's talk about identity. If you knew who was offering you, who was asking you for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Well, she still doesn't bite. She comes back with another identity question. She says, well, how would you get the water? Are you greater than our ancestor? And so then Jesus begins to widen the opening. He says, I am the one who will give the living water. To which the woman immediately says, sir, give me that water. And then Jesus issues the invitation. He says to her, go, call your husband, and come back. Now, why did he say that? Because given what we're going to hear from her in the very next sentence, it just sounds like Jesus is calling her out, or at the very least, baiting her. So why does he say that? It's been a source of pain to her, no doubt, what we're going to hear from her in the next sentence. But Jesus says that to her for a reason, and it's because, and get this, because this is important. Jesus invited her to tell the truth, to tell her truth, the truth about herself. And when he did, he opened the way for her to receive living water. So did she tell the truth? Does she come out with it? Yes. She says, I have no husband. 
there. Her truth is out. She has confessed it. And I love the way Jesus responds. We don't know any of the story. We don't know anything about her, but just a couple sentences. But notice what Jesus says. He doesn't ask her the names of all the guys she's been with. He doesn't ask her how the relationship started. He doesn't ask her how they ended. He doesn't ask her about all the drama and all the damage. He doesn't ask her any of that because Jesus only wanted her to tell the truth. To admit that she wasn't who she was trying to be. He said to her, go, call your husband, and come here. And she said, I have no husband. I don't know about you, your situation. I know what it feels like to be in that situation and have a whole big honking story behind those words. And I can tell you for an absolute fact, she wasn't a single woman out on the town having a couple of martinis. She's a woman who's hurt. And she says, I have no husband. Just to say that is like pulling the scab off a wound. And so what does Jesus say next? He says, it is well that you said, I have no husband. It's important that we get that. Because most Bibles translate that first phrase, it is well, as if Jesus were saying, you are right or you are correct. But Jesus wasn't fact-checking her. He was affirming her. He was praising her for telling the truth. How do I know that? Because the Greek words that are translated, it is well, or mistranslated, in my opinion, you are right, you are correct. The Greek words, I won't try to pronounce them, it would be doing damage to the language, but what they mean literally is, excellently and honorably did you say, I have no husband. He gives her praise for telling the truth. And then, when he gives just a few more facts, he minimizes her pain. He didn't go on and on about it. He minimizes her pain, and then he commends her again. What you have said is true. Jesus doesn't say that to many people. Check your Bible. He doesn't commend many people for telling the truth. She's telling the truth. And so he says, honorably, excellently, beautifully have you said, I have no husband. You let that pain out, he said, in a beautiful way. You told the truth. And that's when the miracle happened. Jesus didn't indict her. He invited her. Jesus knew that the eternal divine truth is so much more powerful, so much more profound than any one person's story. He knew that his own pain and suffering and death and resurrection was going to atone, was going to cover all of that pain, all of that shame, all of any sin, all of shortcomings, not only for the woman at the well, but for everyone. So when she told him the truth, she quenched her thirst by receiving the living water that welled up to eternal life. See, there's no, there's no fireworks that go off when that happens. I always wish there were. I wish there was like skywriting. Someone has come to Jesus. <laughs> I wish we could see like a big old sign in the sky. Somebody else has, has decided to enter the kingdom of heaven. I wish there had been fireworks that day. This woman has received the living water, but we didn't get any fireworks. When water enters a building, it goes directly 
to the foundation. If water comes into your house and you have a lowest point, water will go directly to the foundation. When living water enters a person's life, it goes directly to the lowest point. It went directly to the lowest point of her life and cleansed it and welled up in joy. Last Sunday, Matt said that evangelism begins in joy. Well, that's where evangelism begins. Evangelism begins with a miracle of joy. Joy. When the Samaritan woman told Jesus the truth, then she was able to learn the truth about him. She said, I know that Messiah is coming. And he said, and I love, this happens twice in the New Testament. You can look for the other point, other place. But this time, I just love it. Jesus looks right at her. She says, I know that Messiah is coming. You know, I know that's going to happen. That's the theological truth, buddy. And he says, I who am speaking to you are he. You're looking at him, he says. I love that. Can you imagine? She takes off like a shot. She leaves and leaves her water pot, the scripture says, behind. And I thought, why did God put that little detail in there? Why do we hear about the water pot? Well, I think because it's a symbol that she came and got not what she came for, but what she desperately needed. That's why the water pot is there. Now, I'm going to position myself in her village. Here she comes. She's running. She's talking a mile a minute. What is, what is she saying? She's saying, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. This is not the Christ, is it? Again, I'm going to challenge a translation here. Because if you go all the way back to the Greek, a better translation is, is this not the Christ? She says, is this not the Christ? It's a way of asking a question with a negative in the middle, but she's saying, I think this is Jesus. I think this is the Christ. So here is a woman, now get that, a woman, the disciples are aghast, woman boldly evangelizing her whole village because she met Jesus. She didn't have to tell them about the living water. It is bubbling up in her. She doesn't have to lecture them about what Jesus said about true worship. She's doing it. I can see her face. She's just glowing with the reflected glory of the restored image of God in her life. That's evangelism. Come and see. She wants them to come and see and have the experience she had. So how does this help you and me to understand and do evangelism? Well, I think we can look at the two people in this account as role models. The truth himself and the one who witnessed to the truth. We know that Jesus made the first move. He went to where he knew she was going to be. He sat down and waited for her. He intentionally engaged this woman. Well, of course, Jesus knew her whole story before she got there. He knew she was spiritually thirsty, and he knew exactly how to relate to her in that moment. Now, you and I are never going to have that advantage. But I think what we can do is take a lesson from the way that Jesus was with her. And I think I can make that a little clearer by telling you about a student I once had, an undergraduate student. I'll call him Jeffrey. There wasn't anything special about Jeffrey. He was a little bit tall, but other than that, you wouldn't notice him in a crowd. 
He wasn't the brightest bulb in the chandelier, as the saying goes, but he was a good student. He was a really good writer. And there was something interesting about him. One day, I was sitting in creative writing class, and a bunch of his guy friends were talking about him before he got in the room. And they were saying, what is it about that Jeffrey? Women can't get enough of him. Why are they always all over him? It was like they were saying, what has Jeffrey got that we don't have, and how can we get it? And they just go moaning and groaning. I was eavesdropping like crazy, pretending like I was grading papers, but I was eavesdropping. And so after a few minutes, I said to them, it's a wonderful thing, eavesdropping on students. I said, do you want me to tell you? And they just looked at me, their big old mouths hanging open. And I said, the next time you see Jeffrey come into a room where other people are, or walk across campus and run into a bunch of people, watch him. Just watch him and learn. Because I knew what they were going to learn. I had already experienced it myself. Because to this day, Jeffrey is the most unusual individual I have ever known in this one respect. When Jeffrey encountered anybody, man, woman, older, younger, authority, not, he just shut down like a hybrid car at a stoplight just like no I'm, I'm serious I have a hybrid I know what that's like seriously he just like no sound no pressure no urging forward he wasn't twitching he wasn't internally editing what he was planning to say next Jeffrey just looked at you with an inquiring, open face, just hanging on every word. Just like he was saying, although he never did say this, but it was like he was saying, I'm right here for you. That's a magnetic quality for men and women. I believe that's exactly how Jesus was. I believe when Jesus encountered someone with whom he wanted to engage, he shut down. And I don't mean stop being Jesus. I mean he stopped any urging forward, any mansplaining. He stopped anything. Who are you? I want to hear from you. And that's how the Samaritan woman experienced him. That's how Jesus wants us to be. And I think we can put it in a few words. Jesus wants us to be present. Eric said this some Sundays ago. Present. Get there. Go to where people are. He wants us to be patient. Boy, we're not. We're Americans. I have a watch on, you know. I'm going somewhere. I got a schedule. I got to get, ha- get out of here. I got to go. My meter's running. But Jesus wants us to be present. He wants us to be patient. He wants us to be gentle. I know that's an odd word for a man, but Jesus wants us to be gentle. It's possible for men and women to be gentle. And it's possible for men and women not to be gentle. To be brusque and harsh and judgmental and condemnatory. That's who Jesus was. He wants us to be generous with our time, our attention, our space. And he wants us to be more full of silence than we are of words. Not easy. That's a spiritual discipline list there. Do the workout. Do it. You have to learn it. So I think what we can learn from Jesus is that given those factors, when we can exercise even some of them, 
it's only then that the Holy Spirit might prompt us to share the truth about Jesus' miraculous love. That's how Jesus is a model of evangelism. Let's look at the woman. Now, she didn't start out to acquire a product that she could resell. She just walked up the hill to that well to get water to keep living her same old life. And then she met Jesus. And when she confessed her truth and he received it with mercy and love, in only those few minutes, just those few words, her life was completely changed. That was her testimony. What we can learn about evangelism from the Samaritan woman is that evangelism is about telling the truth about the one who is truth. Why was she so excited that he said, a man who told me everything that I'd ever done? Because notice what Jesus didn't say to her. He didn't pry into her life to cause her more pain. He didn't scold her to cause her more shame. I love how one old-fashioned commentator put it. This is a beautiful sentence. When her past passed through his lips, her past was never the same again. Beautiful sentence. The blood of Christ shed on Calvary cleanses all our wounds, and his word of love binds up every heart. A testimony about the good news of Jesus always starts with a change that Jesus has made and is making in a life. Sometimes that change is prompted by guilt and sin. Sometimes it's prompted by shame. Sometimes it's prompted by despair or pain. Sometimes it's prompted because you just hear the truth in a way you've never heard it before and all of a sudden it clicks. Sometimes. Whatever the case, the change that God is making in your life is for your blessing, but it's also for the blessing of everybody else. For when the Holy Spirit prompts you to tell your story, not because it's about you, but as a way of inviting other people to meet the one who changes lives forever. Evangelism comes from a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's important. So here's the question. How long has it been since you've told anybody what Jesus is doing in your life? I'm asking myself as well as you. Maybe we don't tell because we don't think about it, or maybe we don't remember. It's been a long time. I've been a Christian for three times the length of most of your lives. Long time. But to remember back, what did he do, and what is he doing, and what do I believe he's going to do? The Bible is full of songs and stories where the people of God recited the mighty works of God. Why? Because remembering what he had done gave them strength and faith to hold on for what he would do. That's the same thing for you and me. How quickly do you think the disciples forgot about their encounter with the risen Christ? How soon do you think this woman at the Samaritan well got over her conversation with Jesus? I think every time she went up to that well, every time she went there, she remembered that man. She remembered his words. And she remembered how it felt to be in the presence of the living God. I don't think she ever stopped evangelizing but two cautions evangelism is not a time to fake it till you make it that's an old expression do you know that expression it's another way of saying pretend just putting it on before you consider evangelizing ask the Lord is there business that needs to be done between him and you maybe the business of remembering just remembering What has God done? Maybe the business of praising for what he's doing, 
the blessings you're receiving. You see, every Christian has a truth to tell and a testimony about the truth. And I believe we all want to tell it. But it's crucial that we remember one thing. Persuasion is the prerogative of God. My dad's not right about that. Sorry, Daddy. Persuasion is the prerogative of God because we don't have to sell it. We just get to tell it. We don't have to sell it. We just get to tell it.